everybody, it's Rob Naylor, joined by Chris Zellner for another edition of Cover to Cover. We've got a great one for you, something bold and new and different this uh, week, and it is a magazine near and dear to my heart. It's wrestling's main event. It is not an after magazine. It's a magazine from uh, the publisher, I believe, or the lead guy was Sandy Krebs, the editor, I should say. The publisher was Chen Lo. But uh, Wrestling's Main Event was a magazine that came out, I believe, in the early 80s, and it ran until 1994, or uh, maybe late 93, one of the two, because I remember when they went out it of business. 94. 94, they went out of business, and I wrote a letter to Dave Meltzer <laughs> talking shit to Sandy Krebs, who was the editor, because Sandy Krebs claimed wrestling was dead in 1994, and there was no – can't have magazines because you can't sell advertising. You can't sell magazines. I'm sure he knew more about it than I did, but I was in high school, and I was like, fuck it. I'm writing a letter. So uh, wrestling's, mag- wrestling's main event was my favorite. I was sad when it went out of business, obviously, because I wrote the letter. But uh, this one's awesome. Uh, this one I picked because there was a picture of the headhunters doing a moonsault in it that I will remember for the rest of my life. But uh, it also has Shawn Michaels on the front with the blue intercontinental belt. It has the Steiners helping redefine WWF wrestling. It says first exclusive photos of the first ever Jerry Lawler Bret Hart match, which wasn't SummerSlam. It was from Memphis. Uh, Hollywood Blondes article, DDP article, Terry Funk versus Eddie Gilbert article, Rick Rude rudely after NWA Gold article, primetime Brian Lee sells out, and Lex Luger is being referred to as wrestling's biggest uh, star, but they call him a chameleon. Also, men on a mission, and then a big letters wrap in with no G, their way to instant fame. <laughs> I remember this because I went to my friend Billy Brennan's house back in 1993, and I had this magazine with, I was proudly showing off a picture of the moonsault from the headhunter, and he didn't give a shit. Who cares? If you weren't a wrestling fan in the 90s, they shamed you. But he lo- he opened the magazine. He goes, yo, these guys are cool. Rappin'. And he thought Men on a Mission's tag team name was Rappin' without a G. So I've always thought of Men on a Mission as Rappin'. Uh, Flavor and Flavus, by the way. I thought their names were Flavor and Flavus also. <laughs> and it- Hero always made fun of me years ago about that because it sounds he's in the video for their debut. He goes flavors to the left, flavors to the right. But I thought he said flavor and flavors like, <laughs> like look at your shit. So there's a there's a very slow Rob Amazing. Naylor. Uh, yeah, in eighth grade, not understanding. <laughs> but anyway, let's break the shit down. <laughs> On that note, it's December 1993. This magazine. It said display until January 94. So this is one of the last magazines. You open it up, and by the way, it's like mostly a slick paper uh, magazine. Now, Chris, tell the kids what slick paper was for the uninitiated. You know how in the uh, the older magazines, everything was on, you know, the normal, like, uh, you know, let's say black and white, but it was black and white, that type of paper, that phone book type paper. Well, wrestling's main event was always on this, you know, slick paper like you would get in Sports Illustrated and those the and Time magazine and those fancy magazines. That's why Wrestling Man Event, I, you know, when I was a kid I considered like a fancy magazine because they had this, this fancy paper. Wrestling, I will say this, the Athemax did use that for re- their wrestling magazines with the year like either Wrestling 84, Wrestling 85. So they did use it. That was the only one they would use it for. I guess to make it stand out, be different. It was special, and this yeah. was two ninety five. This magazine, so three dollars. Yeah, those magazines cost. Yeah, those magazines did cost more for the slip paper. Yeah, 
It wasn't like Electronic Gaming Monthly to really cross-brand my nerdship here, but like <laughs> people that would get an Electronic da- Gaming Monthly, that was like three ninety-five. So that was like the big expense. I remember reading that in school. Oh. Uh, there's a dude that would bring his magazine to school, and we would tr- pass it around and read it. Oh yeah, because that was like the that was like the wrestling's main event of the video game magazines because they had like Game Pro and all and these other power. <laughs> yeah, I had all the video game magazines too. But like, Electronic Gaming Monthly was awesome. Oh yeah, but anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, the creme de la creme of uh, game things. They had like the cool ratings and everything, and that was right when like Super Nintendo was coming out, and Genesis was hot, so like it was just something for everyone. Turbo Graphics sixteen, but uh, this magazine here, like I said, on slick paper, which is a big deal because all the magazines made a big deal about like who all slick paper because PWI actually turned over to all slick paper in 1992 if i'm not mistaken and that was a big deal i remember when yes that, it was, that was like absolutely i think it was the magazine where the moondog threw acid in eric embry's face and it was a, a color photo of the sabu chic uh, fire match which is oh yes <laughs> that was memorable to me i remember like when i in fact i can't even remember that it's ridiculous but anyway you open this magazine up color pin up on the back of the front cover of Bam Bam Bigelow and Luna Vachon. Really great shot, actually. Uh, then they just have the front page with the table of contents. You flip it over. It says, I got mine. Be sure to get yours. And it's a young Sean Waltman, his one, two, three kid, holding a picture of Sting on wrestling. Oh, yeah. what a dream so match that would have been. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, right? Look at him. There he is, Sean Waltman. Imagine, God, who was I thinking? I thought about a Sean Walton dream match the other day that never happened, but he tweeted about something, and I was like, oh, shit, that would have been a sick match. I forget who it was, but, yeah, there was like a million. Was it Dick, the Dick Togo thing? <sighs> no, they actually wrestled, but, like, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of – and they wrestled in Chikara. I actually saw them wrestle against each other in 2010 or whatever, but, like, there was one – god, it was like an 80s guy, and they just never crossed paths, but I'll think of it later. But, uh, okay, Editor's Corner from Sandy Krebs has Vin- Vince McMahon on the front. And Sandy Krebs breaks down all the different wrestling TV shows, saying that Monday Night Raw is clearly the best show in wrestling. It's been around, I guess, now about eight months. So just the fact that it was a live TV show one week out of the month was enough. At that time, it was. Yeah, yeah. And then Saturday night, he liked to. Of the major, uh, of the major wrestling shows. Smoky yeah. Mountain was Smoky Mountain was probably the best TV, but yeah. They don't even talk about Smoky Mountain. Of course not, yeah. But they talk about uh, Saturday night going downhill, uh, GWF as seen so, on W. They say that's a complete sham of a program, disgrace to the professional wrestling, <laughs> and uh, they just talk about how it's on Monday through Thursday on ESPN, which is so valuable, and it just sucks. And it even goes one time during the summer, it was even replaced by roller hockey for God's sake, which is a <laughs> great line. <laughs> like it's their fucking fault, right? But anyway. Um, then they go to Mexico, talk about Galavision, and uh, you ain't gonna get they, that in PWI. I tell you that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They talk about Blue Panther, Lismark, Love Machine, in parentheses Beetlejuice in the U.S., uh, Pirata Morgan, Satanico, all these guys. God, Eddie Guerrero's name is here. That's pretty cool. I, when I was a kid, I guess I knew all these names. Once I got, I got the Observer later on in this year, but uh, I guess I did kind of know all these names from this magazine also. They talk about pay-per-views. WCW still the best as far as pay-per-view goes, but WWFs are improving tremendously, they say. 
Then they talk about the the dregs of cable TV, the IWCCW and IWF. <laughs> so they bury IWCCW because <laughs> their shows were fucking two years old and just garbage and taped in the Northeast. And then uh, IWF has a couple good wrestlers, the Possessor being one of those, which I think is tremendous. You know that IWF is, right, if I'm not mistaken? That's Eddie Mansfield. Oh, of course it is. And the possessor, according to what Kevin Kelly told me, was actually Ned Brady, who got the Repo Man gimmick stolen from him. So there you go. Look Nasty at that. Ned Brady, yeah. yes. WCW yeah. jobber legend. Really like Ned, Ned Brady. Oh, this is funny, especially given current wrestling. The IWF rarely promotes these shows these days. And when they do, the two biggest stars of the 50-something Continental Lover and his equally old tag team partner, Roy Lee Welch. <laughs> <Something>. <laughs> Burial for the old guys. Uh, <laughs> letters to the editor is next. There's nothing really too cool there. Uh, on the next page, there's a, a, an ad for Slammers Wrestling with Vern Langdon. Did you call and- that? Did you call that hotline? I didn't, and I also always just looked at the wrestlers that were advertised as really out of shape and wimpy looking and like garbage, and I never had any interest in it. Like they, they could have been having the best matches ever at Slammers, but the guys just always looked lanky and shitty and didn't have like fake bodybuilder wrestling bodies that I was accustomed to. So I was like, fuck Slammers. But I did later find out that uh, a friend of mine, Ed Ferrara, <laughs> uh, Ed Ferrara was actually involved with Slammers. And I've talked to him about that. It's very interesting. So, yeah, good old Ed Ferrara. Yeah, people people forget that. I mean, he, nice had, a, he had a background in wrestling well before WWF. Absolutely. He was very nice. He's, he's a nice person. Like, if you go up to Ed Ferrara and you just start talking shit on anything he ever did, he discussed it with you. You know what I mean? He was He was a person in wrestling who was accountable for things that he did. But he also had reasoning for the things that he did. And I just – I always – I have respect for Ed Ferrar. I like him a lot. He teaches at Full Sail now, if I'm not mistaken. So He, uh, he was entertaining. He's always entertaining. Yeah, you know, I mean I, the shit with Jim Ross's face and everything was fucked up and it wasn't nice and he regrets it. But for that time, for that era with Man Show and South Park and fucking – the way it was. Like, stuff that they got away with. He was writing for a particular audience. Is it nice? No. Is it – in hindsight – like cool or funny probably not but that was the time that was the audience and he wrote a lot of crazy shit so bless his heart uh drew some ratings for a while there so the next page hollywood confidential back to their roots the hollywood blondes have more fun and there's a fucking incredible picture of the blondes walking out at slambury 93 with the little uh oh god what do you call that thing where you go uh (laughs) The fucking Hollywood gimmick where you shut it and oh, go. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. What do you call that what thing? I'm drawing a blank. I'm drawing a blank now, too. The, uh, the, the thing fucking... they go, action. You know, that thing. I'm going to remember Nasty Ned Brady was the possessor and not know something <laughs> like this. I'm so sad. Anyway, so, yeah, he has one of these things in his hands. I'll take a picture of it. But it's cool because they're wearing those Hollywood blondes vests, of which I recently saw Brian wearing. There you go, clapperboard. So I recently saw Pillman's son wearing this exact uh, exact vest, so I think that's really cool. Yeah, Pillman Jr. God, he looks so much like his daddy. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. No doubt. And now the story here. 
They just talk about the Blondes competition, which is Bagwell and Scorp and Arn and Roma. <laughs> and they're yeah. kind of talking shit on Roma, unfortunately. I, I like Roma more than most. I like but... Roma, but I just didn't like him in that role. I, I don't I, think they gave him much to work with. Uh, I love Pretty Wonderful. I thought but, he was great with with with, with Orndorff and of course Power and Glory. What can you say? Yeah. And Young Stallions was was good, but I just did not like him in the Horseman. He just was not a Horseman to me. He just was a. Yeah, they didn't a, give any creative really enhance it either. So yeah, it wasn't his fault. He was doing yeah, his fault. There was never any good angles there. There was basically just three Horsemen most of the time. It was doomed for failure. But uh, yeah, they. Uh, just talk about Pillman and Austin and how they're both underrated and they're going to try to outwit the nasties and Harlem heat in the future and all this fun stuff. Of course they would break up shortly after this, but uh, very interesting, but Oh, look at that. Just as this story was going to press, we learned that Pillman suffered a severe ankle to his an- or injury to his ankle and will be out for several months. That's when Regal came in and substituted for him. I assume on that, that one clash. Yeah, uh, there you go. The next page, Brian Christopher, the new king of the USWA. It's a picture of Brian here. And I'll tell you what, Brian Christopher, when I was a kid, sight unseen, because I never really saw him wrestle till the 90s, like the late 90s. He was pushed heavily in the magazines, and I was always pretty shocked he never even got any kind of a, a look from WWE back in those days. Brian Christopher, well, the thing was is that and in and, and, and that era too, they're not, you know, they're not pushing the steroid guys. But Brian Christopher, at that time and place, was not ready for WF. Maybe, I mean, he was still very young, but he was very damn good. If you've never seen Brian Christopher from '92 to '96, you really need to watch him because he was awesome. As a heel, he was so hateable. I mean, just just went hating his guts. As a baby face, you, I mean, you just I'm gonna say you loved him, but he was so great as a baby face too. Um, just a really really good all round performer. It's a shame that you know we don't have the depth of matches on on the like from Mid South Coliseum that we do from you know Memphis from the '80s. Because you never saw hardly any 90s men's I've called to see a match was complete. So we don't have those classic matches that he was involved with. But pretty much all we have is TV. But the the Christopher Jeff Jarrett feud, oh, what an amazing feud. And just everything he did in that era. He, he was so good. So good. And then, I mean, he, he was a future star in the business the way he looked. And when everything, you know, when he got got the experience and, was, you know, by the time he'd get ready. He would have been a great, great pick for WCW, more than WWF, but that wasn't going to happen because of the politics. You know, Lawler. Here's a couple things. A couple things to think about. There's photos in this magazine of him fighting with Chris Adams and him fighting with One Two Three Kid or Lightning Kid when he came down to Memphis, which is cool. One Two Three Kid, I guess it was. But uh, sounds like let's see. That's a one. That's a great match. We never. I'm sure we'll see because it was at uh, Mid South Coliseum. But uh, and Chris Adams' wife at the time, Tony was playing Nanny Simpson. She was working yes. as his maid. <laughs> and I think there was some infidelity there with Carrie Von Eric. Well, I mean, maybe we shouldn't say these things, but rumored well, infidelity. 
<laughs> when you when you watch enough Ronald Gossett and J, Jamie Dundee interviews, you feel compelled to say these things. Yeah, you know, waxing that ass in front of Bronco Lubitsch, I believe. Was That's the brick. Quote from, the, uh, from the from the brick out shoot, which is so funny to even put all those words in the same sentence. Uh, however, uh, with Brian. Brian in Memphis is kind of like Paul Diamond and Pat Tanaka in Memphis, where you hear the the stories of those that were there. My God, the matches that were had with Billy Travis and Jeff Jarrett, et cetera. Like Jeff Jarrett's the common denominator here. But, you know, you never really see it. I fucking hate watching Memphis studio wrestling, and I don't like watching Mid-South Coliseum unless it's like a couple matches from maybe 84, 85 when you got Lance on there and, you know, Tommy Rich and stuff. I, I just don't don't care for it uh like you, you, uh, i guess i guess for, today because Mem- yeah, memphis is one yeah. i watched a lot of the wrestling gold and i'd enjoy all the matches on there like bockwinkle and, and lawler and lawler and, and funk but as the decade wore on there were they darkened the arena more like dutch mantel and the punisher dutch mantel and master of pain was so dark and it was just tough to watch and then into the 90s i fucking i understand it was great for what it was i just never enjoyed it i never enjoyed the look of the studio wrestling there and i just like i liked atlanta and i liked certain other studio wrestling elements but with memphis i just kind of checked out of a lot of it unfortunately and i'm not that's, that's, a, that's a rare that's rare you i mean i very rarely ever hear anybody talk you know say that they weren't a big fan of memphis memphis is like one of those promotions that it's pretty much universally, you know, I'm going to say loved at least, but then people are generally, you know, into it. But, hey, people have, the, you know, their different tastes. And- yeah, but, like, even you watch Mark Callis' squashes in WCW, and then you watch his shitty squashes in Memphis in that stupid, like, studio. Like, again, the studio was what it was. Uh, a lot of great angles happened there and was on yeah. TV for yeah. goddamn 40 years. I get it. But, like, I just – I never really liked it. I can't really say like I I go back and watch it all the time. Like I I like like the wrestle crap aspect of it. Like the goddamn uh, <laughs> Tagar, the Lord of the Volcano, and the Macho Warrior Rikog, and all these fucking horrible ideas. And they just prance them out every week in the early '90s in particular. And I think that's funny. And like the Moon Dogs destroying jobbers with chairs was pretty good. That's a memory I have. But like ultimately, just never really cared for it. And like I enjoy some of the interviews. Like Lawler saying Carrie Von Erickson on steroids and stuff like that. But maybe if you live there, I get it. Or if you're from Louisville or any of these other places that are nearby and you watch it and you grew up on it, I get it. And it was certainly better than like GWF and, and IWCCW and things of that nature. I just never really immersed myself in it. Like there was so many angles that happened there that were good. Like whether it's like Idol and like Idol, Rich and Lawler and Paulie. And then Bam Bam and Bill Dundee, and that's like my favorite angle of all time. So I say I don't like it, but there were things I really enjoyed about Memphis, you know what I mean? Or whether it was Bill Dundee and Landell and Dutch and Jerry Lawler and, you know, different things like that. I certainly know the history of it and watched it and enjoyed a lot of it, but I just don't find myself going back and watching a lot of it because just visually, I just, I, I get taken out of it for whatever reason. But, uh, you know, like you're saying, Brian Christopher, man, like hell of a wrestler, but never like imagine if Gilbert keeps the book in ECW and brings in Christopher. Well, he right. brought in K brought in Brian's brother Kevin as a, a fake Gilbert. <laughs> imagine USWA goes south or he they fall out of favor with Brian Christopher. And then maybe Jerry Jarrett don't go to WWF. 
And then Christopher is never even on their radar to get any kind of darks or looks. And then he just goes to ECW with Eddie Gilbert, you know? Oh, I, I think he'd have been great in ECW in 95. He'd have been fucking awesome. Like, can you imagine? As, that, as, as heel Brian Christopher? Oh, you kidding me? I mean, he would have had heat. Like, don't get me wrong. I fucking adore Paul Heyman and what ECW became. I'm not saying, oh, what if Gilbert kept the... But if he did, it's a whole different thing. And you got to think there'd be more guy at PG-13 when it came up earlier. And probably Brian Christopher would have came up. And who who knows who Doug. else would have been up. Doug? Well, yeah. Doug was there. <laughs> Dark Patriot. But Yeah, that's about Doug is Doug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It would have been interesting. But yeah, there it is. Brian Christopher. So then they do the wrestling roundup. Now, every magazine at the time kind of had one of these bulletins on all the news. Wrestling roundup, Chris, was one, two, three, four, five, six different pages <laughs> of stuff. Like big WWE or WWF rundown. Uh, one's just a SummerSlam 93 recap. Then you got the next page where it's WWF. And and uh, WCW, and they got Tony Holmey debuted, and he's Ludwig Borga now, and also Rex King and Steve Dollar, and his well well and done they call him, which is great. Well and done. <laughs> Quebecer is leaving. Our Bob Backlund, Tito, the Beverly Brothers, Ted DiBiase, Giant Gonzalez, and Doink Number Two, as well as Sherry Taylor and Sensational Sherry. Oh, that's great. And then part-time will be the Bushwhackers and Jim Dugan. Uh, and then they have WCW. This is around the time. Okay, there it is. The Blondes. The Blondes lost the belts to Roland Anderson, but Regal had to take a place of uh, Pillman. As it clash, yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they have Halloween Havoc will happen in October. This was a great pay-per-view. And... Uh, Basically, where Tony dressed sk- up as Jesse. Yes, fantastic. Newcomers include Harlem Heat, formerly the Ebony Experience, Ice Train, managed by T Bolt Patterson, the Nasty Boys, who have already defeated Anderson and Roma several times. Wow, look at them there, winking, winking at the Disney tapings. <laughs> uh, Chippewa Charlie Norris, <laughs> first wrestlers of all time. Uh, the Equalizer, speaking of which, Eve uh, Sullivan. Yeah, Yoshi Kwan, Chris Champion, yeah. Mark Starr, and Sean Royal. I don't remember Sean Royal coming. Uh, Terry Taylor and uh, Cactus Jack has returned from injury. Hmm. That's interesting. They say Mark Starr and Sean Royal are an interesting tag team since Royal wants to team with Champion is the new breed. They did team on the indie scene uh, or some, in different places. Come in for WCW, though, eh? I think, and I think they worked as a new breed. Wow, that. Wait, so wait, Champion and Star or Royal and Started? I think so. On 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 indie shows. That's interesting. Because I remember the wild side, but yeah, I, the funny thing is I believe this because Sean Royal did a New Japan tour in late ninety three or ninety four. So and that was and that was really weird too that he would just do that tour out of nowhere. But uh Wow. So there's all that. Then you flip the page here, Chris. Jesus, you got Carlos Colon, the Rock and Roll Express, goddamn the Moon Dogs. <laughs> they got everything going on here. They break down all the Memphis stuff. Smoky Mountains on here. Dusty Wolf and Muhammad Hussein are <laughs> the tag team champions in WWC, which Luke shows Fabiana. you how, yeah, how 
well things are going there. Uh, <laughs> Ray Gonzalez and one-time partner Ricky Santana are now rule breakers. On, on the undercard, you have the Warlord, Mr. Hughes, Mike Anthony, who I think was Michael Zansky, uh, right. Dan Crawford, Hercules Ayala, John Savage, who was awesome, actually. but never got Barbarian. Bro, Barbarian's brother did jobs for Crockett. Real Joe Don Smith, another name there. Then they go into the WWN, the World Wrestling Network in Texas. And they uh, they got all kinds of Jim Crockett's group. The Kimono Dragons, Bad Company, Hollywood John Tatum. Imagine all these guys in ECW, by the way. <laughs> Hollywood oh, John, John Tatum. Tatum Mike Davis. Oh. Uh, Black Bart. Steve Dean. Hawk. Gary Young and the Convict, who's Nails. And Cowboy Bob Orton Jr., who would have been just fucking fantastic in ECW, let's face it. So there's all these guys. Jeez. All right. Oh, this is when uh, basically Wing kind of had a lot of guys in ECW, too. Yeah, well, that's what Eddie and Doug were the foreign bookers for Wing. Oh, you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Headhunters, uh, Miguelito Prez Jr., Moteji, Matsunaga. And then others in ECW include Jazzy J.T. Smith, Salvatore <laughs> Palomo, Mr. Sandman, the Metal Maniac, <laughs> Ivan and Vladimir Koloff, and Abdullah the Butcher. So there you go. A whole different fucking ECW than yeah, you might have. Yeah, and that stuff's on the WWE Network, folks. If you've ever, ever seen 1993 ECW, go watch it. That J.T. Smith-Sandman match ain't on there, though. I, I've been – trust me, I've tried. I, <laughs> if it's on there, someone correct me, please, because I – I just remember well, all the TVs ha- on there, basically. Yeah. But, dude, knowing how much they used to clip up stuff and put it on the show, I'm just shocked that. Well, I guess Eddie didn't do it as much as Paulie did, but, like, I just. If that footage is out there, because that was the. they Not this magazine, but there was another wrestling main event that had this Headhunter story. And it was, like, top rope drop kicks and elbows and moonsaults and liger dives and all this crazy shit from that match. And, like, you know how the headhunters were. None of their matches ever really fucking worked sound like as far as basics. But for moves, it looked fucking awesome in pictures. And even the picture I posted today, I said it was JT Smith and the Sam. It's fucking Bill DeMott. <laughs> you know Crash what I mean? Crash Terminator. It's, yeah, it was from when Crash the Terminator and Miguel Perez wrestled them and they went through the wall, which is another awesome match, by the way. But, uh,. I looked at it closely, and I'm like, look at that big knee brace. Oh, it's a white guy with hair. I'm like, that's Bill DeMott. I'm like, oh, okay. So I guess they, they hit the moonsault on that one too, but I was just – I always remember that moonsault on that JT because they hit JT Smith with it in the other match. It was crazy. Well, the head, but, headhunters, I mean, the, the first time you see the headhunters, I'm like, oh, my God, who the fuck are these guys? Look at look what they do. Jesus Christ. It fucking saved my life. Like I remember in 93, <laughs> like all the wrestling magazines, the wrestler – I don't think PWI ever had anything on them, but like the wrestler and wrestling's main event, and then all those Napolitano mags or all these headhunters photos and in photos, it's like the craziest thing you've ever seen in your life. It's like holy shit! Look at these big guys doing all these things. Vader had just done the moonsault in July of '93, so like I think I might have seen a headhunter picture before Vader did the moonsault. So then when Vader started doing the moonsault, it was even crazier. And those were the days, and maybe people don't understand this now. But back in those days, if you're a fan, a hardcore fan, like if you if someone did a moonsault, oh, three and a half stars, like it had to be like or a top row Frankensteiner. Oh, that's that's three and a quarter stars now. Like <laughs> if someone did a moonsault, they were immediately like on they were it's like it's like how watching how Shima watches wrestling from Dragon Gate. 
it's like a double moonsault. Oh my god, yes! Oh, come to me immediately, like move, <laughs> which is awesome. I love moves. Like I'm, I, I like moves more than fucking story. I'm that guy. Like I like good story, but I just don't really commit to too many stories these days. But what I'm saying is like. In those days, like, oh, Al Snow did a springboard moonsault. Holy fuck, it most improved. You know, <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> that's how it was. So then, like, Vader doing a goddamn moonsault on top of all the other cool shit Vader did. And then, like, these guys doing moonsaults and top rope drop kicks and all that. Like, look, Tommy Rogers doing a top rope dro- drop kick. Cool. Barry Wyndham doing one. Okay, even more impressive. Fucking 450 pound headhunter B doing one. It's like, okay, <laughs> I'm paying the fuck attention. So they were just cool. They were, they were, it's a weird thing how they were tailor made for magazines. You know what I mean? It's, it's oh, yeah. like, like Trickster fucking Warrant were tailor made for MTE in 87 and 88. Like the headhunters were tailor made for still photos. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You know, they really was. Balls to the wall, man. Was, White and, Lion, that, that, that beautiful Lee singer they have. His oh eyes with piercing. God. He was fucking dreamy. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> they had Hip all winger. the... <laughs> yes, they were just tailor-made to be on the halftime show on roller games. So, yeah. <laughs> People from 89 know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't date myself any further. But uh, as I flip the page here, there's the latest picture I've ever seen of Lance Von Erich. Who they oh, my goodness. With. Yeah, he's in wrestling for the IWF title, but it's like he's jacked as shit. He's got long ass hair. He looks a little older than he did in the eighties, but Lance is on there. Even for Mansfield's IWF, huh? That's what it says here. Which... Oh man, I want to see that. I haven't seen much of Mansfield's IWF, but I want to see like Lance against Eddie Mansfield in nineteen ninety three. Can you just imagine that shit? I'm, I'm gonna read it to you right now. Oh. Uh, after a long period of inactivity, the I. WF has promoted some shows in Orlando. The big news is the return of, in big in big letters, Lance Von Erich. He came back to America from South Africa and is now the IWF World Heavyweight Champion. He's feuding with the possessor, Ned Brady. Eddie Mansfield, the Continental Lover, and veteran Roy Lee Welch have come out of retirement to counteract the action of Nasty Ronnie and his nasty organization. The tag team champions are chubby mc and odessa slim so <laughs> i don't know who the fuck chubby mc and odessa slim are but they are immediately my favorite wrestlers i talked about so far. <laughs> oh they're doing pne drip off gimmicks mc man fat boy rapper wrestlers in the early 90s thank you heavy d for producing uh god all right well then there's big d in the gwf it's like they, they had this shitty promotional war where no one drew any money, so what's the point? <laughs> uh, they do mention Buddy Roberts, who Meltzer informed me last night on Twitter that uh, Buddy Roberts was Canadian, Chris. Yeah, he's from uh, – yeah, from I, don't, I don't think he's a Montreal guy, but I think he's from like uh, uh, Northern Ontario or something. Yeah, I mean he, he didn't inform me directly, but he responded to yeah. somebody else. He was Canadian. I'm like, get the yeah. fuck out of here. I don't oh, yeah. do that. His real name was uh, Jack Hay, I think, or something like that. Yeah. Wow. Buddy Miller? Jack Roberts. All the time. There it is. Makes sense. Uh, Bullman Downs. <laughs> Leon Bullman Downs, yes. Do you know that Bullman Downs worked at FMW? Yes, I did. Yeah, of course you did. Yeah. God, stump you for shit. Uh, do you remember <laughs> Scott Braddock? Corporal Braddock or Sheik Braddock. Uh, Corporal Braddock was good, man. He, he had was a good- jacked up. 
He's jacked up through a good Him and Ron Starr were uh, USWA Tag Champions in 89. That's part of Devastation yes. Incorporated. Thanks, Eddie Eric Embry. Uh, yeah. Another promotion in the Dallas area is the AWF. They didn't last long. No, no. The German Stormtroopers were the Tag Champions. <laughs> give you an idea. Uh, the Cowboy Billy Andrews is the heavyweight champion. Other stars are the American Ninja, the Dream Boy, Major Chuck West, Pat Kialoa, Brandon Baxter, there it is, one name I know, Carl Colt, Ray Evans, the Bomber Boy, and Flamboyant Freddy Fargo. That explains why he's in here. Yeah, that's why I said the magazine. <laughs> I don't know who any of these people are except one name, and there's Freddy Fargo, who worked for the magazine. There you go. He contributed that, to all those magazines, newsletters. Me and you don't know any of them. Then you know it's like we're fucking digging to the bottom of the barrel. Yes. What else do we got here? Uh, hmm. Let's go look for anything else interesting. Uh, uh, we're going to skip it. Windy City Wrestling was still in existence, which is interesting. That's, yeah, I thought they were done by then. The next page, Letter from Japan, my favorite column as a kid. By uh, Tokyo Sukata, E S U K A D A. So much like Jumbo Tour Sarto before him, probably <laughs> probably confused me as a kid. I could read it now though. I have a friend named Sukasa from Japan, is a really hardcore wrestling fan from Japan. So Sukasa kind of taught me about my TSs, but uh, that's on here. They basically talk about the birth of the UWFI and how Vader is the big get for that organization, which is cool to learn about as a kid back in 93. Uh, they kind of just run down the whole UWFI team. Takata, they talk about Albright in here. Then they talk about the Jurassic Powers defeating Road Warrior Hawk and Kensuke Sasaki to win the IWGP World Tag Team titles. I can only imagine what... Uh... Let's see, Thir- uh, let's see, 1993. So this has been 15 year old Rob Naylor. We've been thinking of a Scott Norton Hercules tag team. <laughs> Buddy, I thought her, I thought Scott Norton was the future of this business in about April '93 because he did those squashes and then built up the big match with Sting at Slambury, and then that match just never happened. And then I was like, oh, okay. And then Scott Mort- Norton was just gone, and then he never came back till like what '95 or whatever. And then when he came back, I was pumped. Cause I hadn't seen him yet. Once I see, like, I remember Flapjack Norton thought he sucked, but then like Japan, when he was jacked. He was like a fucking. He was like if Road Warrior Animal's physique got put on Van Vader. Like it was just ridiculous <laughs> body type. I was like, what the fuck? You're not supposed to be that big and then that ripped. Because Scott Flash Norton, Flapjack Norton was never ripped. He was just like this chubby, big, strong guy. But then when he got tan and jacked and all roided out, I was like, holy f- – well, allegedly roided out. When he hit the gym, as I'll say, <laughs> so I, don't, I don't need anyone snitch-tagging Scott Norton for this fucking shit. <laughs> the guy sneezes, I'll turn to dust. But what I'm saying is Scott Norton was fucking jacked. He just looked like a goddamn monster. And like, I'm like, why isn't Hulk Hogan were like wrestling him in WWF at the time is what I'm saying. So, uh, yeah, needless to say, it was a giant Scott Norton fan. How did Hogan ever wrestle him anyway? I know, right? In WCW, I mean, he's there. Hogan's still babyface for all that time, and they never wrestled each other. Scott Norton's the type of guy that would have been a Hulk Hogan opponent. You're not kidding. Him, probably the biggest miss next to Mr. Jeep Swenson as Hulk Hogan opponents there ever was. Well, at least Hogan Uh, had interaction with Jeep. He didn't have anything with Scott. You're right. You're right. Did he have an interaction ever with Elegante? No. 
Hey, Hogan never wrestled John Gonzalez. They were in WF at the same time, too. <laughs> you know, this is going to be crazy coming from someone like me that does not like Hulk Hogan both as a human and really doesn't really care for him as much as a wrestler aside from, like, the 80s. Hogan would have had a good match with Giant Gonzalez. I hate to say it. Like, I, not too many – I'll even go a step further. Even granted what I just said about my thoughts on Hogan, Hogan might have had a better match with Giant Gonzalez than Flair did. And there's not many people I'll say that about, but I have confidence that Hogan would have had his match. With it would Giant have been Gonzalez. a smarter match. It would have been fine. Yeah, I think it would have been cool. I wish it happened now. I'm kind of sad. Aside from when he was the heel freak Pelican Man on uh, Baywatch with David Hasselhoff, uh, Giant Gonzalez never had any interaction with Hulk Hogan. So. <laughs> <laughs> I know it wasn't even Baywatch. It was Thunder in Paradise. Whatever the fuck it was. I, I'm blurring all this shit now. Thunder which, in Paradise with, Chris, with the great Chris Lemon. Yeah, it's because I remember Meltzer's fucking <laughs> Meltzer's line in The Observer said, Giant Gonzalez, or Eligante, real name Jorge Gonzalez, playing a subhuman heel freak in the show, uh, <laughs> Thunder in Paradise. And I'm like, what is a subhuman heel? Because I didn't know what heel was at the time. So I'm like, what's a subhuman heel freak? What is that? You know, and I'm, I'm like wondering about what the fuck this was. And then it's just like him as a regular guy who's a bad guy. So know. you watched Thunder in Paradise? here's what i did after a few of the nitros they would have thunder and paradise on they did and one girl on the show was hot as shit so i did tune in uh, uh carol alt yes well as a teenager i was kind of into that and then uh i watched like maybe two episodes and I what did you think back. of uh face paint with sting oh dude when they I don't remember that particular episode but i remember when the magazines had pictures of them taping the episode and it's like Hulk Hogan versus Sting, and it happened on an island. I'm like, wait, what? And like <laughs> the picture of Painless Sting fighting with Hogan. I'm like, this is fucking amazing. Because at the time, I don't know if you're like I am, but there was no fucking way Hogan was going to WCW in my mind. Well, I was hoping he wasn't. <laughs> but as soon as yeah, I like mean, I, the thing was, as I, soon as they started bringing his name on television, I, I knew it was coming. Were you getting the Observer at the time? No, I was not getting the Observer at the time. No, but. But still, but still, as soon as they brought his name up on television, I knew. And I, I mean, I was almost fifteen. I was fourteen, about to turn fifteen. And of course, you're 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 older than me. But I mean, I knew as soon as they mentioned his name. Okay, he's coming. He's coming in. Because why would they mention his name if he's not coming in? I kind of thought that, but that I'd been getting the Observer and. Spring Stampede in April 94 had like the best show of all time for me. He was already signed by then basically too. No kind he, just of. They he just wasn't there. Yeah. And I was kind of like, man, maybe Hogan really is going to come. Cause he was and supposed then, to be at that show. And he didn't come. They teased it. And then, then they had the slambery and they teased it with the seven or six foot seven blonde, former champion and all this shit. <laughs> and then like Hogan, Meltzer had like, it was like going to be like Hogan and Flair against Rude and Perfect. There were all these ideas that he, I'm sure, got from somebody in WCW, which would have been fucking nuts. And then, like, Perfect never came. Rude got hurt. And then just like Hogan Flair immediately, which is the right thing to do because it drew good money. So good for them. But like, uh, that's Flair booking. Flair booked yeah. it. So. It's interesting to see where all that would have gone. Like, if Rude doesn't get hurt and Henning comes in. Man, that's a whole different fucking Hogan era. Like yeah, as, but it was all it was going to be Flair and Hogan no matter what. 
What's that? It's going to be Flair and Hogan no matter what, because that's what Flair wanted. That's what, I mean, that's why, I mean, Flair is the catalyst for bringing Hogan in. I mean, that, that's the one thing that we talked about when we did, we did a, a Patreon show between the sheets about this, about Hogan coming to WCW. And that's the, that's the catalyst is Flair, because Flair loved working against Hogan, and Flair knew that was going to be money. It's not Bischoff. I mean, Bischoff was not, you know, that hot on the idea at first. But Flair was the one that pushed it. Flair is the one that, you know, him and Bischoff flew to Tampa and met with Hulk, and they got the deal done, and blah, 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 blah. It was Flair's the one that was the driving force behind that. So all everybody's like, oh, poor Ric Flair. Oh, no. Flair loved every minute of that. Loved it. That's, that's what he booked. <laughs> Speaking of what he booked, fla- flamboyant Freddie Fargo on the next page discusses <laughs> the downfall of WCW. And it's just funny because he talks a lot of shit. And there's a, cab- there's a picture of my boy, The Dream. It says, Dusty Rhodes is the one person to blame for WCW's recent problems. Uh, or is one person to blame. So he blames – he actually breaks down uh, breaks down the whole backstage of uh, – Well, at that point in time, Ole – when that went the press, Ole was the, 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 the head of creative. And Dusty was like one of the bookers, one of the guys on the committee. But if you're going to blame anybody for that stuff, then the blame goes to Ole Anderson more than anybody else. But go ahead. He says, they are disably assisted by Dusty Rhodes, Ole Anderson, and Eric Bischoff. Bischoff he is the one. He, he doesn't even mention the other guys like Greg Gagne, Bill Dundee, Mike Graham. He didn't even mention those guys. Keep going. Yeah, he says Bischoff is the one that in charge to go is in charge of what goes on the TV set. Uh, ergo, and then he has look that word up. <laughs> He's the one responsible for the boring programs and down the gutter TV ratings. Bischoff will point the accusing finger at Rhodes, and then Royce will point it at Sedello and Sheeta Shaw, and then Bischoff, and then Anderson, etc. Now this is all just whatever. There's a line at the end of this fucking story that I can't fucking believe because it's so inside that there's no fucking way on earth I or probably nine. 90- 99% of the people reading the magazine would have understood it. But I'm going to read it to you guys right now. Oh, by the way, while Sidello doesn't sound like someone from the south of the border, I think she is. My inside sources tell me that when she fantasizes, she closes her eyes and moans, Ole, ole! So she must be Hispanic. <laughs> How fucking insane is that? So they're literally... <laughs> They're literally, they're literally in a goddamn fucking worked wrestling magazine talking about Ole Anderson fucking Sharon Sadella. That's amazing. What's well, Freddie Fargo though? I mean, <sighs> is he still around? Yes. Wow, he's someone who I he's a classic man. He uh, he is the Eddie Elner of this thing. Him and Al McGinnis, I suppose. But I mean, yeah, Fargo was. I mean, he was. You know, all in that Texas scene, man. He he knew all that stuff that was going on, and he he was a big time newsletter. I wouldn't say. I mean, he was a contributor and wrote stuff and sent stuff in. And oh yeah, he was big time and for Dallas for sure. Then you turn the page of the Heart Punch, not by Ox Baker, but by Al McGinnis, and it's a picture of Tony Adams, and it says. 
McGinnis admires a self-sufficient woman such as Tony Adams. And it's her blowing a kiss into us from the picture. Yeah. And they talk about the Nasty Boys. Oh, my God. Now I want to dis- disclose to you about – no, now I want to discourse to you about a wife beater and limey slime, gentleman Chris Adams. Oh, <laughs> He's goodness. no gentleman. This dirtbag likes to abuse women. He's been arrested before for his hobby. Holy that, shit. And that's lost true. It's because of it. Good lord. We we Shoot. we we did a between the sheets uh, a while back, uh, the week in '89 where Chris Adams got arrested for hitting Tony, and he got out of jail and he worked the sportatorium that Friday night with and with Tony by his side and the fans gave him a standing ovation. Jesus Christ! And that had been in the media. Wow. Well then. <laughs> yeah, I I got nothing on that one. That's no good. Uh, so then the next page, real wrestling news fast. It's a fucking ad for the Pro Wrestling Torch, which is cool. Well, Freddie Fargo was with a torch, you know, and didn't work for them. So, yeah, they were they were in line with a torch, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Ooh, and look, they have, a, they, have a, they have people putting the magazine over here. A brilliant publication, G-Bets from England. The torch is worth every penny, H. Wilson from Jacksonville says. It is consistently the first publication to report the late breaking news, says S. Damore from Windsor, Ontario. <laughs> and, oh, wait, hey, I know that guy. Anyway, Scott Damore, there you go. Then they have the video reviews, and they've got Starcade 92, Super Brawl 3, and Stars of Slammers, Young Lions from Slammers Gym. The crazy thing about this is the Star K92 VHS is $29.95. Super Brawl 3 is $29.95, and the Stars of Slammers VHS is $40. Bucks. Ugh, so, what? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's just fucking did, uh, did you ever rent Star K92 and Super Brawl 3 from your local video store? No, we didn't have them. Uh, I honestly don't think even to this day I've seen Star K92 in its entirety. Uh, I've seen oh. Super Brawl 3 a great deal, but uh, no, we didn't have – we had some of the 1990 NWA VHSs and some of the 91s. Like Wrestle War 91 when it came to Alderson's video in Shimokan, I fucking – god, what a happy day in my life. I remember watching that, so, and it was probably a good seven months after it happened, but – to this day, Russell War 91 is just such a classic show. Yeah, I, I was lucky that uh, Grand Illusions, my video store here in Borensville at the time, had a – the owner was a wrestling fan. Well, uh, he was a big fan of Ric Flair, and uh, he would he would always try to keep the wrestling uh, tapes in stock, you know, whenever they Fuck came yeah. out. So, Did you I, have any I, Japanese tapes? Uh, Not in my video store. No, we, uh, you know, the, the Japanese video stores were in Atlanta, maybe. Which I never really went up there. I had a Japanese friend that I would see videos from, but uh, no, no, no. The store down here didn't didn't do that. I mean, check this shit. So in Shimokin in 1989 or 90, Arcus Brothers, which still exists in a town called Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania, Arcus Brothers was like this place that would resell just different mattresses or sell mattresses and different, you know, eight tracks and all this kind of shit. They had. Japanese wrestling tapes, but it was just like the ones that Anoki put in the after mags. I forget what it was. But yeah, it was those, like, those uh, World Pro Wrestling tapes, the uh, Dusty yeah. Woods. Yeah, and it had like Kong of the Barbarian breaking a chill. We had that, yeah. Head. I had that one in the video store. Did have that one. 
that's the one we had and i was shocked because okay. i okay i remember yeah. seeing like mad max and supermax doing like a cutler brother style pile driver with like both guys on one side dropping with a pile driver I was like yo it's the coolest shit ever shiro koshinaka was my favorite japanese wrestler before i saw muda i was like oh my god shiro koshinaka is a man he's amazing <laughs> it's like i don't think i've even watched a shiro koshinaka match in fucking 30 years but like at the time i was just like this is the guy so it's just i, I love little Do things you, like all right and the mat the mad maxes who were they oh god mad max and supermax but i have no idea who they actually were i'm right, uh eli the eliminator was mad max uh one of them in uh sad decero from Win- from uh, windy city wrestling was the other one wow dude they were very good i don't know if oh, god you gave me all those awa tapes and i wish i fucking watched more of them i watched like a bunch of them but i didn't get to all of them i'm sure there's a mad max and super match max super max they never worked there san desero was san desero was there in another gimmick no they didn't chris i assure you mad max and super max worked the awa the max brothers they did i I, i'm always we could talk about 99.9% of wrestling and you're going to be right. I assure you, we could look into this one. The Max brothers were an AWA team for a short time in 86 and then gone. Like right around like Earthquake, Earthquake Ferris was there too. Okay. 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 I remember that now. Yeah. I wouldn't have any, I wouldn't know who the fuck they you're were. Right. You're right. Yeah. You're right. You're right. I remember that now. Why the Eliminator though? Yeah. He left to go to uh, the work for a watch. He liked the Eliminator. Holy shit. He had the long hair. He looked like a biker. Yeah. And Sam Becerra. And the, yeah, man, the, I like those guys. I think they deserved a, a better career. Just going to throw that out there. Uh, Matt Musings is the next column by Bob Smith. It's a picture of Jim Cornette. And I'm like, can you believe it? Jim Cornette's in the WWF. Very Shot crazy. the hell out of me when, I, when that happened. I, you, I mean, I, I never would have thought I was seeing Cornette in WWF. <sighs> Paul Roma. Four Horsemen. This is like the shock and awe column. He used to be a young stallion, didn't he? And then uh, Vince McMahon referencing Smoky Mountain. That's crazy. That was that was that was really insane <laughs> to hear Vince McMahon talk about another wrestling promotion. On yes, really. And then the ascent of the Colossal Kongs is a sure sign that the steroid craze is over, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> Bob Smith. Shooting over here, good. Also, Lord. Kong and King Kong. Also, Kong, of course, uh, worked as Big Henry Haas before he became Awesome Kong in the Northeast. Mm. Yeah. Then look at this. I don't care what anyone says. ECW is the hottest promotion going in the sport right now. That's crazy. Talks about Eddie Gilbert, Hawk, Terry Funk, Chris Candido, Chris Michaels. He winners. Oh, that's cool that he put him over like that. Bob Smith ahead of the curve. Eastern Championship Wrestling. Oh yeah. Uh. Jeez, what is this? Tony Adams was on the TV show for Global. I yeah, now I know now she's hanging out with Iceman Parsons, but how can you not root for her? She's a hot lady. Apparently, <laughs> 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 what that means. All right, I'm gonna flip the script here. Lex Luger can wrestling's chameleon become its biggest star? It's a picture of Lex Luger as the narcissist, including photos here wrestling P.J. Walker, Kurt Hennig. And Jeff Jarrett while in Memphis, which is interesting. P.J. Walker, the future just incredible. There it is. Wow. And this yeah, is right, this is right, right prior. Before, yeah, it's right before the Luger Bayface turn. Yeah. Yeah, this is right before uh, he slammed the guy on the intrepid. Then we got a big poster of Rick and Scott Steiner wearing their cool 
Mr. Perfect tights with the the one with the blue with the checkers and the other one with a bunch of numbers on it that's pink, which I always thought was cool. Uh, then always Steiner- had good, always had great gear. Oh, they did. Oh, it's fucking ridiculous. Steiner Brothers helping redefine WWF wrestling. Picture of Rick Steiner hip locking Urban R. Scheister in the light purple Mr. Perfect tights with all these different little trapezoids on it, which is cool looking. Then there's a photo of Rick Steiner with a German suplex or waist lock on Bam Bam Bigelow, which leads me to believe this was the very rare Bigelow, Yokozuna, Steiner Brothers, WWF match that no one's ever really seen. But yeah, it sounds awesome. You're right. You're not kidding. I I looked at this photo earlier, and maybe it's Adam Bomb and Bam Bam too. Maybe they had matches also. But like I looked at this photo earlier, and I was like, holy fuck. I'm like, can you imagine – Yoko and Bam Bam against the Steiners. It sucks that we never got Steiners and Nasty Boys in WWF. No, that's true too. Steiners and WWF have a lot of opportunities. Yeah, they great feud in the Yeah, they gave us uh, Owen and Brett though, so we can't be too. And uh, the Beverly Brothers. And the Beverly Brothers and the SSTs. Yeah, Steiners had a good run. They did. Just forgettable, kind of. And I don't mean they didn't have good matches. Just and like the Quebecers, we can't forget the Quebecers. Yeah, just kind of here and gone. And Shyster- yeah, it, it was never it was never the main thing or close to the main yeah. thing, but it was there. It's like WF tag feud, you know. Yeah, that might have been right around the time Vince first really start turning on tag teams. Here it is, into the spotlight, men on a mission, rapping Played their the way players. to instant <laughs> Yes, but the big the word big word is rapping. <laughs> it's just a picture of them doing like. The fucking G Funk stance, looking into the camera with their little uh, sunglasses on, being like, "Yeah, look at us." When you We're saw rapping. when you saw Mabel for the first time, what'd you think, dude? <laughs> Mabel's first wimpy match on WWF, he hit like a spinning savat kick, and McMahon's like, "Oh my god!" And I was like, "Oh my god, this is my new favorite wrestler." And then like he did like a leg drop off the second, but of course since it's Mabel, it's completely unsafe, and he landed butt first on the guy and killed him. And I was like, "This guy is my favorite wrestler of all time." And then I was just like, "Oh my god, these guys were in Memphis because I remember they were the Harlem Knights in Memphis." Yeah. Then they just got way more colorful gear and became men on a mission. Mabel is such a large man. He's so so big. Like Bundy-esque as far as like just wide, gigantic, big dude. He wore the MC Hammer pants, which only made him even bigger. I wonder if Gorilla ever called him the human condominium like he would call Bundy. I wonder if he did also. Uh, Jim Cornette referred to him as the world's largest waterbed, which is not very nice. But uh, (laughs) it's, uh, it's a nickname nonetheless. And Mo, here's something people might not understand. <laughs> I thought Mo was good as shit. Mo took a backdrop up from Mabel and did like a somersault plancha once. Mo could work. Yeah, Mo. Mo was trained by my Lord and Savior Manny Fernandez. Manny Fernandez, <laughs> both Mabel and Mo. And yeah. if you look at the footing of Mo, you could see the same in Homicide and Manny. It's similar. Like I, when I watch Mo, there's a lot of different characteristics of Manny that I see. So I always Mo don't get too much props, but uh, I he'll get him from me. I, I always enjoyed Mo. I thought he was quite underrated. I think he's got some health issues now too. So. Big ups to Mo. Hope you're feeling yeah, poor better. Poor Mabel, you know, poor Nelson Frazier dying young. I mean, God, what, he was a talented dude. Big dude, talented. Well, you, we think he was talented, but anyone that works with him always buries the shit out of him. So well, I, I don't know. A, he was stiff. <laughs> yeah, and unsafe. Like when he landed on Diesel that one time. Well, Undertaker. 
well, yeah, had to wear that mask. Poor <laughs> first guy that wrestled him in the wimpy match. Like for me, I loved watching him. Don't get me wrong. Didn't he fucking throw Colin Delaney around too? Was that Tony? Yeah, yeah. Colin Delaney made him look like a million bucks and a half. And like he had all those good squash matches. Uh, what was his name? Big Daddy V. Big Daddy V. Viscera, yeah. To be honest, I'd like to go back and watch the Big Daddy V stuff because I was so out of WWF at the time. I saw very little of it and just saw everyone talking shit. But then I remember like there was like a Death Valley Driver thread and like everyone loving the shit out of Big Daddy V. So I'd, I'd like to go back and watch. Because Big Daddy V and Umaga, man, that's like your updated Bigelow and Yokozuna monster heel. So I, I'm with it. I think it's cool. And Mark Henry at the same time. And Mark Henry at the same time. So there you go. But like – yeah, man, when I first saw these guys, when they do like the Midnight Express, drop toe hold, but then M- M- Mabel would drop the big leg and he'd do the belly to bellies. And he, he was, again, I'm not in the ring with him, so, you know, fuck it. I enjoyed watching Mabel. I always thought, like, that one match he had with Yokozuna on the pay per view, not so much. But, like, everything else he ever did, I didn't mind. I thought he was even a good, credible challenger to Diesel, to be honest with you. So, yeah. I like Mabel. Good job, Mabel. I just, uh, I don't know. Oscar could fuck off, though. He wasn't. Really <laughs> <good>. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I pulled out a bunch of old VHSs from a box the other day, and it's right around, like, WrestleMania 11. And, like, he comes out, like, they, the, 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 what the fuck were they called? The Smoking Guns beat Men on a Mission. But then after the match, Men on a Mission got hot about and attacked the Smoking Guns. That was the heel turn. Yeah, and then, like, the next week, they had Oscar in the ring. He goes, listen, and he's, like, giving this really unbelievably shitty promo. You know, yo, man, the he's like, the smoking guns, they are homies. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, this is, like, the worst thing I've ever seen. Well, it's, like, such first dialogue. And, like, you knew the smoking guns weren't their homies. So it was just, it was just shitty. And then, uh, then I'm like, well, wait, then they wrestled the Quebecers. That doesn't make sense. Were they just baby faces again? But then I'm like, oh, wait, I don't know what year it is. Because, like, that yeah, wasn't Yeah, they the were year. gone by then, so. Is this the year the, the, the young, uh, I keep wanting to call them the young pistol. The Smoking Guns lost the belts to Owen and Yoko that year, though, right? Correct. Okay, and then they probably went on to feud with Men on a Mission. Uh, Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because if it, or it was one of those weird turns that no, they did no, the turn. No, that, no, the, no, the Owen Yoko was after. Yeah, but it's, like, right before, though. Like, literally a couple weeks before. Oh, well, Yoko wasn't a team yet when the Smoking Guns and Men on Mission were doing their thing. Yeah, but like what I'm saying is when I'm watching the TV, the TV was building up that there was going to be a mystery partner for Yoko or for oh, – Yeah, it's, against... it's, it's soon. It's soon. You're, yeah, I mean, you're so right. It's, it's soon. Like within three weeks, yeah. they just moved on to something else. Yeah. I remember we all thought Ben Wobb was going to be the partner. I don't know. Maybe you didn't, but like – it's like Owen Hart's gonna have a mystery partner, and then it was like Yoga Zuna, like, oh fuck this, and like they ended up being a really good team. Which you know, what do we know? Or what do I know at least? I remember everyone I was around I was like, oh man, this sucks. But like they were a good team. Well, in hindsight, I love watching Yoko and Owen. Yeah. Did Bam Bam have a partner like that? Like like a big guy or a little guy that he teamed with? No. Bigelow. Yeah, I can't think of any. As a regular partner? No, yeah, I don't think he did. Not as a regular partner. I mean, he did. He would team up with guys in the million dollar corpor- corporation at times, but yeah, I can't eat on you. But yeah, yeah, I like this big guy, little worker dynamic though. That's that's a good one. All right, we flip the page. It's Jerry the King Lawler against Bret Hart. 
first ever match at the Mid South Coliseum. Just a bunch of pictures of Lawler holding. Oh, there's that. He's wearing that AWA belt we talked about in prior shows. Unified title. The unified title. Yeah, that's Are, that, that's the beginning of the. You know the well. The, I've never said the beginning, beginning, but it's, it's the early part of the USWAWF feud, and when Vince shows up as heel Vince for the first time. Heel fucking Vince. And heel Howard Finkel too. We had that. What a great man. What a great angle. I mean, I mean, a lot of great promos. Vince, you tell, I mean, Vince was just having the time of his life being a heel. That's when everyone ever calls out Bischoff when he said that Vince took what he did and just became and made it his own. Like uh, Vince nope. did, it, did it in Memphis. He was really good. I remember reading The Observer talking about how unbelievable, like how dislikable he was. <laughs> I'm like, well. We'll see that in three years or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Eddie Gilbert versus Terry Funk. Hot stuff's in hot water. As it shows Paul E walking to the ring with Eddie. This is going to yield a lot of really cool photos to put online. Uh, Paul E walking in the ring with hot stuff Eddie Gilbert. Wearing like Joey Janela glasses, which is awesome. And they're having a chain match here in uh, Philly. Photos of their chain match. Got a pile driver from Gilbert on Funk. And them just... Rap, ooh, you got Gilbert wrapping the chain around Terry Funk's mouth, a la Omega uh, Moxley last night with the chain involved here. Good shit, bleeding all over the fucking place, both these guys. And, Eddie, and the other members... Eddie did, Gilbert oh, and Terry Funk loved each other. They, oh, yeah. And then here, uh, other members of the Dangerous Alliance included, <laughs> it says stupefied Jimmy Schnooka and Don Morocco. <laughs> So there you go. Yes, that era of ECW. Yeah, I mean, it had, it had all kind of stuff going on. It had these young guys in there and had your old WF names, too. Weird promotion. Yeah. It says it's all heading up for a tag team of the Funkers with Terry Funk, Stan Hansen, Road Warrior Hawk, and Chico Santana taking on Hot Stuff International with Eddie Gilbert. Polly Dangerously, Snooka Morocco, Shane Douglas, The Dark Patriot, and Hired Assassin, Abdul the Butcher. Which I don't remember all of that, but maybe that was where it was going as handed over to the magazine by Eddie. But uh, it's an article there from Al McGinnis. Yeah, they had some stars, man. You can't deny that they were bringing in some names to Philly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The next page, primetime Brian Lee sells out. It's a picture of the blonde Brian Lee holding what appears to be the Smoky Mountain Heavyweight Championship. And uh, they have a picture of the turn where he, Tracy Smothers is sitting in a chair and Brian Lee is standing next to him. And I think we all know what happens next. As Brian Lee bounds off the ropes and clotheslines Tracy Smothers out of the chair, which I don't know about you. Always my favorite thing in territorial wrestling. I remember first seeing it with, I think it was Adrian Adonis and probably either Randy Rose or Tommy Rich in AWA. And just the idea of a, a, a running clothesline is cool, but like a running clothesline on someone sitting in a chair was always so much more badass. I don't know why it just was. But uh, that's how. It's usually somebody get... standing. You don't need to see a clothesline. It's like eating a clothesline sitting in a chair. Yeah, and then like with the Brian Lee, Tracy Smothers, there was that shock value. You just weren't expecting it because there was old Tracy putting his hand up there, like yeah, and then like Brian Lee just runs off and clotheslines the shit out of him. It drops the big knee drop off the top rope. Yeah, Brian had been the you know the top babyface in that promotion from its beginning, 
And by this point in time, the promotion is well over a year in, in, and it was time to turn him heel. And, you know, the way they did it with Tammy, you know, made sense. And, you know, because she was starting to rise on the scene, and they were really good together before Chris got involved, you know, on there. And then they got, became a tag team, and it was a really good act then, for sure. And then Brian, of course, had started dyeing his hair black and stuff like that, and went black, and became more of a dark figure, mainly because he was fake Undertaker. <laughs> so. Yes. Very obvious to all those paying attention at the time. Yeah. Now the next page, or the page that has like the rest of the Brian Lee story on the bottom, it's the classifieds, and you know this is always classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they have the Moonsault Press. It's a newsletter, apparently, that is monthly. It's a dollar a copy. Uh, for main event readers, you can get nine nine bucks for twelve issues. There were, a, I mean, this is the era where there were a lot of people doing their own little newsletters. A lot of people. See, I only thought it was ever Meltzer, Keller, and then you had this guy that got into MMA. What the hell was his name? I had his newsletter. Uh, Fuck, it's going to kill me not remembering it. Uh, God, I can't remember the guy's name, but he ended up getting into hook-and-shoot promotions. The guy ended up starting Jeff Osborne. Jeff Osborne, and like he was really – in with Dutch Mantel and Paul E and, and Ian Rotten. So like he always had all this unique dish that you wouldn't expect. But uh really not very it wasn't very professionally done. Like I remember some of the shit he would put in there was just insane. Like I won't even get into some of it. <laughs> it but yeah, there were a lot of people that would have their own little newsletter deals where they would I mean they they were reporting stuff that other people reported, but they, you know, they had their own little take on it and they were, you know, had maybe some different type of results and they were selling their videotapes. I mean, Dave Prezak had his in that time period. Oh, Prezak? I don't remember this. Yeah, Dave Prezak had his. I can't remember the name of it right now, so I, he'll kill me for this. Outside Interference. Yeah. And then, oh, wow. uh, you know, Alice Marvez, All Eats, Alice Marvez had three count newsletter. Uh, there's a lot of different was, newsletters. Is Prezak from the Midwest or is he not from the Midwest? Um, I th- Yeah, I think he's Midwest. Originally, because I mean, I know Prezak, but I I can't say I've ever really talked to him about this. But Prezak, well, I've known him. He's been from from Illinois in that sure. area. Yeah. But then I was thinking, well, maybe he because I think he cut his teeth in the New Jersey Carluzzo Indies, so that then leads me he to be a Northeast kid. Then just went to the Midwest with Ian, but I, I don't know. You he know, spent his time in Northeast for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, huh. oh, that's interesting. Because, like, obviously he would do the, nine, the Corluzzo shows in the mid-late 90s, I suppose, and then he moved on to do all that stuff for IWA Mid-South. And he had, like, Mike, yes. Mike Lano had his deal, and, I mean, George Ambacropolis had hers, and a whole lot of people had Yeah, was Mike Lano just, like, quirky? Like, a lot of people don't like him. Oh, uh, yes. I don't know why. I, I, uh, I, don't know. I, I mean, <laughs> I've seen the pictures in the magazines. Uh He's very I, overbearing. Let's just put it that way. I mean, if I want to talk about Mike Lano, we'd go for a while on that one. <laughs> like that's like most wrestling fans, though. Like I, I don't know. I, I can't see how he made that much more overbearing. He's. He, I mean, he's okay. I mean, the deal with Mike Lano. One of the deals with him is you know he he takes these pictures and then tries to sell them, and he would go to like wrestlers' funerals and would try to. Oh, okay. Well, that's not very good. What yeah, funeral there, there's he a, go? Yeah, he's he's yeah he's 
He's a guy that's very controversial. Uh, Bob I, Barnett hates his guts. I, I, yeah, well, Bob Barnett hates most people's guts. But yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't, uh, I don't certainly advocate taking pictures at funerals. That's super shitty. But yeah, so so yeah, we'll we'll knock him for that. But aside from being an overbearing wrestling fan, that pretty much comes with the territory these days. Uh, what else do we got here? Uh, fuck, Mid American Pro Wrestling, the M A W there. Charlie Fulton training. Look at that. Yeah, former uh, Charlie Fulton trained Sawyer Fulton. So there you go. Former maybe uh, job guy for WWF in, in other territories. Yes. Yeah. How about that, Marion, Ohio? Yeah. I would have guessed Charlie Fulton had a school would have been in the Northeast, but there you go. He's originally from Ohio. Okay. Which is interesting because Bobby Fulton, of course, not his real name, is also from uh, Chillicothe, Ohio. And I was wondering if he took that name because of Charlie Fulton, but no, that wasn't the reason. Hmm. Japanese videotapes for sale. Oh. Jushin Tiger and the Great Buddha. You can get them. Got to send a, a, an env- uh, to get a catalog, a dollar to Clinton S. Freeman from New York, New York. Yeah, a lot of people were, selling, were, were uh, trying to push Japanese videos at the time in the uh, newsletters in the magazine. You know, and, that, and a lot of people want to get into it. I just didn't trust it. I never until I got the Observer. I never trusted sending for tape lists. I, I never, never trusted, traded for tapes. Yeah, like it had it. It had to be once I got the Observer. You would just ask for tape lists, and then people would send you them. And the more professional the tape list look, I would just usually go with them. The first, the first Maybe. person I ever bought wrestling videos from was John McAdam because he had his website, and that was 1997. And dude, John. Uh, had a website in 1997. He sure did. He should. It wasn't JohnMcAdam.com yet. He was on, you know, how those days where you get on some type of, you know, like uh, Angel Fire, yeah, Angel Fire, Geo Cities type deal. He had a different one. Mem- it was members num- with a number dash something dot com, and uh, he had his little website back then. And then of course he got JohnMcAdam.com later on, but. uh but yeah, I mean, it seemed like he was a reputable, reputable dude. And John McAdam sent me a tape list in '93 or '94, and to this day, I still keep a couple of the tape lists that he sent me that were like probably about 20 pages or 15 pages each, and I read them all the time because he just he just it's all the TV shows and he just yeah. got all the angles on the TV, and he does it in a really entertaining way. Oh yeah, John. John's a, a witty, a witty guy. I love. I mean, I've done many podcasts with John, and he, he's witty and funny, and he's, he has a, you know interesting take on a lot of stuff. And yeah, I mean, it was twenty dollars a tape. Think about that, folks. And it didn't matter how long the tape was; it was twenty dollars no matter what. Five. Yeah, so twenty bucks for one tape, and if you bought like uh. You know, like ten tapes, you get maybe a you know you get like a discount. The more tapes you bought, you got a discount. So think about that now, folks. Let's say you spent like two hundred dollars, and you got like ten, twelve tapes. You know, you know, those, you could get from either like twenty four to seventy two hours of wrestling for two hundred bucks. Now, <laughs> you know, if you go to like IDP videos and bought the DVDs, I mean, you could get that for. Thirty bucks, fifty bucks, <laughs> and then if you have to make a comp tape, which God, you had to be a rich person for that. Yeah, like 
a, a comp tape was going to be like 50 bucks. No, no problem. Only for two hours, maybe. So yeah. that's why I always did George Mayfield comp tapes. And I would just go all the exact matches I wanted to see from Japan. <laughs> and then and crazy one tape. times, man, crazy times. We're old. <laughs> yeah. We're old. And I rocked Chris. One of the tapes I got for my Mayfield Mayhem memories, it was like Liger, Liger and Samurai, Sam Houston, of course. And then uh, <laughs> Liger and Kensuke against the Steiners and Dynamite versus Tiger Mask from MSG. Funk versus Sabu from the NWA taping in uh, Manhattan Center. And then the one-hour TV show, this is to your interest, where Brody died from Georgia. Oh, yeah. Had, like, oh. Buck Rowley, and they showed him pile-driving the mannequin, saying it was Dick Slater. I, I remember when I got that tape, brother, I probably ran around the house, like, five times, like, <laughs> screaming in excitement. I was so excited. Like, oh, my God, A, I can't believe this exists. It's actual Japanese wrestling I get to watch. And I fucking watched that thing a thousand times. It was awesome. That was me, uh, the, bring it, the bring it back to the video stores. That was me when the local video store got the Tommy Rich Blood Battles of the South commercial tape in and started putting <laughs> it up for rent. And it was all his like bloody matches from when he worked yeah. in the Georgia Independence. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, man. That, just just like the excitement of like running to your newsstand to see what the magazines would be. Yeah. The, it was similar to either the, get the Observer on a Tuesday or Wednesday when the mailman came or like get a tape. When you hear that bigger box fall in the mailbox, you're like, oh, fuck. You know, I'm just so excited. Or the complete sadness when you wouldn't get a tape that day. Yeah, when it came. Yeah, see, you know, I, and that was back when I got an allowance from my parents. So when it came day, the, the allowance day, that was the best day of the week. You you had the you had the order pre written, <laughs> like I I had my shit pre written ready to mail out well, on allowance day. Well, see, my thing was is that, I mean, back in those days, I had to choose, you know, and I was because I was into so much stuff. Whether if it was I was younger, and we talked about this before on you know previous shows, whether it was buying action figures or you know sports cards or whatever, you know that was the younger age. Now the older I got. The action figures went away because I wasn't in that anymore. It was either uh, buying cards or renting video games or renting wrestling tapes. Well, and, here's yeah. real quick. You're right. And I just found my Super Nintendo, okay? My Super Nintendo was in like a bag with like Castlevania 4 or whatever it is, right? Yeah. So I've been playing Castlevania like a fucking motherfucker. <laughs> I went to all these mom and pop local stores looking for Super Mario All-Stars, which I didn't even know existed till now. And I was a big Genesis guy, big Nintendo yeah. guy. Then I got the Super Nintendo for Christmas and I would suppose 92 maybe Christmas. And then I'm like, well, why did I stop playing? Why do I only have one game? And then it all made sense to me. Why did I stop watching the NBA? Well, Barkley lost with the Suns to the Bulls. I think I just got mad. And then I kind of quit watching the NFL. And then I just quit video game. I got so into ECW and Japan and reading The Observer and FMW. And I got so into wrestling because then Nitro popped off. And I just got so consumed with wrestling at that point in my high school years that I just was like, fuck everything else. Like I didn't, I didn't realize this until I found my super Nintendo and I'm like, brother, I never got a game past 1993. Why? 
And I'm like, oh, it's because I just didn't care anymore. <laughs> and it's like now I'm like look watching YouTube tutorials on how to beat Super Metroid and shit. And I'm like all into video games. But there's that moment where it's funny you mentioned that where you, you divvy out the allowance. Because I was doing that too for video games and, and like sports stuff in particular. And then at some point I just got so – probably right after seeing – Sabu and Cactus Live in 94, I was just like, yeah, I'm done. Like, this is my life now. <laughs> like, I am going to study journalism and go to college, and I'm just going to be consumed with fucking ECW for the rest of my life. Like, it's just funny because you don't think of that kind of stuff when you get older until you find something like a Super Nintendo from 1992, and you're like, oh, wait. Yeah, I used to play this. Oh, yeah. I mean, your, your taste changes. You know, and about like like you know, by this time, wrestling magazines was out of my. You know, let me talk about before the first show. Wrestling magazines was out of my, out of my thought process. It just wasn't. Wrestling tapes had then replaced it. You know, video had replaced print by this yeah. point in time. So I mean, that was and 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 in sports, you know, I was another thing too. I was buying blank videotapes, so I had to I had to you know put that in as well. Blank videotapes to record stuff off television. Dude, right. blank video tapes cost a fortune. They did. My God, I never thought of that. But yeah, if you got like the ten pack of blank video tapes, you were fucking made. Oh yeah, ten pack of tapes, dude. Go to Walmart, you know, every so often get a ten pack, and we're good to go, you know. And uh, yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's just you, <laughs> your your taste change, you know. That's so when you get older and stuff like that. It's just it's just the way it way it was, especially in that era, you know. And I was getting more into you know, and more and more into music and stuff like that too. So yeah. Oh yeah, I was still I kept that. I got so into like alternative and grunge music and everything and I I was really into my K seven <laughs> and all the other uh, <laughs> Come baby, come baby, baby, come, come. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was hooked Rex and Effect. All that stuff. I just I was so into all that shit. The, there, so, M, yeah, it was like MTV and wrestling that just took over everything. Oh yeah, oh, I have, oh, to, oh. have to watch the state. <laughs> Beavis and Butthead, the state, Real World. Um, oh god, MTV was just insane. The insane whole thing yeah. in, the, in the mid '90s, man. Oh, what a what a great time. Kids don't even know, man. They don't even know. Oh. Even the commercial. He watches just for the commercials sometimes. It was oh, absolutely. Great. I mean, Weekend Rock with Kurt Loder and. I mean, yeah, yeah. okay, and then of course, it's you know the the end of that era, like sh shows like Buzzkill. What a great fucking show that was. Uh, I mean, it's all kind of stuff, man. It's just it was a great time. I I miss those days. I really do miss them a lot. Other other things in the classified: Jmar, which sells belts. Yeah. Here's one for you. The Chaz Fan Club. Ooh, Chaz. $15 a year gets you a full-color autographed picture of Chaz. A button, a keychain. Mm. Right to Christopher Love. No, uh, right to the Chaz Fan Club. Houston, <laughs> Texas. Here it is. Uh, then there's a guy, <laughs> Omar Delgado. He has some Puerto Rico and Japanese tapes. Ooh, okay. There's that. All these guys from New York. Uh, if only I was smart enough, I'd be more trusting as a child. I could have sent this shit out and got these tapes earlier than I did, but next page, Ravishing Recruit rudely after the gold, giving the gold chin lock to Dustin Rhodes, Rick Rude having himself a hell of a 1993, here's some pictures of him and Ricky Steamboat and Cactus and Dustin, 
Rick Rude wouldn't have been wrestling too much longer, but there was few better than Rick Rude in 91 to 93, in my opinion. He was fucking... Yeah, his the... WCW run was a great run. Yeah, I watched that, uh, I watched that Rude Steamboat match from Beach Blast the other day for the first time in a while, and... It's a good match. Smart psychology, you know. I don't know what people think about it nowadays, but I really enjoyed it. I liked how they really hustled the last minutes of the match. and I mean, everybody... How Rude, you go ahead. Rude came off the top with the knee drop on purpose just to kind of take Steamboat out and take the disqualification so he could pick up another pin. Like, that's a smart match. I know WWF, I mean, the Rude WF run is more famous because it was with WWF and more people was watching that than watching WCW. But when, you know, when he was there, but, uh, his WCW run was way better than his WF run as far as, uh, matches goes by far. You just didn't get a Rick Rude, Barry Windham match, unfortunately. Uh, I know. Well, not a big one. No, absolutely. Yeah, oh, I guess we did get little ones, but like that would have been, if that's one of those is on tape. I'd like to check it out. That's, that's a good pairing. I know Imagine what happened. 87 Barry Windham against like 91 Rick Rude would have been fucking crazy. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean. You look at you look at the you know, you know Rude and Sting what a great feud that was Rude Steamboat Rude Dustin Rude Flair you know the the one I'm ashamed well not ashamed the one I wish we would have got because we didn't get because of the injury was Rude Vader oh yeah when he came out with the chair <laughs> the chairs annihilated everybody oh man babyface Rick Rude could you just imagine that shit <laughs> like Stone Cold Rick Rude I mean he's basically Rick Rude but a babyface oh that's who it is by the way. Uh, Sean Maltland, Rick, Rick Rude is what I was thinking. Oh, okay. But just ima- yeah, imagine a yeah, ravishing Rick Rude. I mean, still being ravishing Rick Rude, but as a a baby face. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, Rick Rude was awesome, man. He One of the best. Verbally, as good as it gets. Like, you watch so many shitty promos now. Like, those amazing AEW promos this week on TV. I was just marveling at how good they were. And then I still happened to catch a couple on Twitter that were on SmackDown. A raw one of those shows, and I was just like, "Holy fuck!" It's just like, and I'm gonna beat you, and then like funny little kitschy line, and then I was like, "Oh my god, this is so bad!" And then like, you think back to Rick Rude, it's like, I don't think I could think of a singular incident in, in his whole life that I didn't buy into what Rick Rude was saying. It was always just so train of thought, so well, organic. His so conviction is Rick Rude. Yeah, he knew who he was. He never he would he never misspoke. He never stumbled. He was just so fucking good. He was just so good that you don't even really appreciate it maybe at the time until now you look back and like holy fuck, he was great. Like and that's funny cuz Heenan always told the story that Rude didn't want him as his manager cuz he could talk. So Heenan was like, "Okay, cool. Whatever, dude." But uh he didn't need Heenan. Like I I always liked Rude with a manager. Whether it's Medusa, Paulie, maybe not Paul Jones. Oh, <laughs> Percy, come on. Sorry, Paul Jones. <laughs> Percy? But, uh, <laughs> yeah, Percy was great with him. Percy was the best with him. Percy Rude always had a manager. Yeah, but until '93, when I mean, he was he was without a manager '93. Yeah, but like I guess Heenan always tells the story. He didn't need a manager, which never really made sense to me, but. Because they were great. Heenan was probably his best. I, I would, I would with conviction say Heenan was his best manager. So it's just funny hearing that. Like he's like, okay, cool. You don't want a manager. Well, right? Heenan, Heenan complimented Rude very well. And yeah, Rude was able to talk in that too. I mean, they, they, you know, they shared talking. 
I always felt Percy was even better because it's like the strip club owner with the stripper. Yeah. <laughs> like, like this fast talking piece of shit. And this the the man who's the brains behind the operation and just like this lithe, wiry, ripped dude who's just like hanging out with him. Would I don't you, know. Would I you say it, Rude was the best of the, the Heenan family members? Let me think. Uh, better than Hercules, better than Harley, better than Andre, although Andre Heenan is just like that visual. In a way, I want to put Bundy and Stud pretty high up there just because of the time they put in with Heenan. Yeah, they were they were in the beginning. Orndorff wasn't with Heenan long enough, although Heenan and Orndorff as a pairing was good too. What about Heenan? I mean, the the one the, the one that comes to mind. Well, Bundy stuff's good. The one that comes to mind is Henning. I mean, I mean Rude and Hen- or Henning. You know, I mean that's yeah. He throws the thing and Heenan catches it. They did have a really good rapport together. That's what I'm trying so to I- get. I'm trying to get rapport wise. Yeah, not as far as like you know working or anything like that, but they're rapport together. Uh, oh, the mistake! Oh, just kidding. I, I would say for sure it's 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 rude or Henning for sure. And Bundy right. and Stud are right there too. Absolutely, they then because I yeah. put Flair on there if it lasted longer because I thought Flair perfect and Heenan was like such a fucking iconic trio. They guy. were, but you think of Flair more with with perfect than you do with Bobby. Yeah. You know, because Bobby was just mainly announcing, but he was cheerleading. So. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was another good unit. Shawn Michaels, wrestling's only singles tag team champion. All right. Here's a story by uh, Bob Smith. Uh, the picture of Shawn Michaels is in his leather daddy phase. Shout out to Costa Quinones. Uh, he's wearing some leather chaps. And he's got his little assless black chaps. Yeah, assless chaps with the uh, bottleneck leather vest with the cool shades. Mullet. Yeah, a little John Lennon looking shades there that I also had back in 1992. Pretty cool guy. <laughs> he's standing there. Next to Big Daddy Cool D's, and he's fighting with uh, Razor Ramon. Just prior to WrestleMania match, I'm assuming. Yeah, this is right prior. But they have him fighting with Janetti here. Yeah, just uh, recounting his little run here, I guess, in the magazine. But they're talking about how he always has to have either Janetti or Diesel by his side, so he's a tag team singles guy, which is an interesting story from Bob Sherry. Smith. Yep, Sherry's disgust here. It's like you have the magazine in front of you too. Yeah, the Sherry's on here too, Chris. You're a genius. Yeah, it shows him. It shows the old move where he throws a hip lock on Janetti and Janetti flips to his feet, which is always like a cool move that people should bring back. Oh yeah, good stuff. And now the ratings. We've got uh, some ratings here. This is the photo of the headhunters doing the moon salts with a fan just with mouth agape. Losing his shit at this big man hurtling through space onto Bill DeMott. <laughs> a great wrestling photo, by the way. And it's it's just unique to see that ECW arena looking so like it's just that big white wall and it just looks so barren. I know. Used to without the bleachers and everything. So mm-hmm. top twenty in the business in ninety three, August. Yogazuna, Big Van Vader, Lex Luger, Rick Flair, Bret Hart, Sting. Muda, Shawn Michaels, Rick Rude, and Dustin Rhodes. This is like the best of all time in that top ten, by the way. You got Vader, Luger, Flair, Hart, Sting, Muda, Shawn, Rude, and Dustin. Even even the second ten is impressive outside of one. Uh, Kurt Henning, Undertaker, Masachono, Jerry Lawler, Masawa, Ricky Steamboat, Sid Vicious, Davey Boy Smith, Greg Valentine and Steve Regal. So there you go. 
you have that uh, that second ten. Good list. Greg Valentine was the WWC Universal Champion, which I figure puts him in that spot. Yeah, that would probably get him on there. Yeah. Now the tag teams, buddy. The tag teams, aside from one again, are all just some of the best tag teams of all time. Doc and Gordy, mm-hmm. Steiner brothers, Arn and Paul Roma, Bruce brothers. Oh wait, maybe not. Moon Dogs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nasty Boys, Head Shrinkers, Rock and Roll, Heavenly Bodies, Hellraisers. So, I guess there's two less than greatest. Of Hellraisers, uh, being Hawk and uh, Kinsuke Power Warriors. Who I loved. Uh, we got the other ratings just on the other side: WBF, WCW, USWA, NWA. Most popular, most hated, women and Smoky Mountain. Women, just because we'll do the interesting ones. Medusa's number one. Misty Blue Sims, number two, holding out, 93. Luna Vachon, wow. three. Bambi, the farmer's daughter, is four. Heidi Lee Morgan, five. Peggy Lee Leather, six. Two Lees in a row. Monster Ripper, seven. Sensational Sherry, eight. Miss Texas, nine. And Candy Divine at ten. Then last page. Diamond Dallas Page, gambling on his future. Just a picture of Diamond Dallas Page. And they're talking about how he is moving from being a manager to being a wrestler, Chris. Wow. Left left WCW earlier this year to the torn rotator cuff in his shoulder. Turned his back on money and left trying to get more experience. Now he's back in WCW. He's going to be wrestling again. But it says here he left his mark on independent promotions in Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, and now looking to go to IWCCW. Oh, no. But uh, I don't think that ever happened. But <laughs> Look at that. And then the last thing Sandy Krebs says. Like I said, Paige is an egomaniac. He doesn't talk for more than two seconds before he turns the topic of conversation to himself, which is a great line. Uh, but, but bigger in this business than Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair? Keep dreaming, but we'll have to keep a close eye on his progress for the next several months and see if he's all talking no action or he's the real deal. Well, that's a neat story to look back on. I got to give it to Paige. I mean, if you would have told me in 1995, 1994, 1995, that Paige would have had the career he had, I would have called you a fucking idiot because I would have never. I mean, <laughs> just the way he way he looked. I mean, just I knew he was older and. That's like, oh, he's okay. He, he's 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 okay for what you know, a, a mid card guy, you know, like that. But I mean, as you said he'd been, you know, the top babyface of WCW in a few years. I said you're shitting me, but dude worked his ass off, and he got over. And yeah, I know he was tight with Eric Bischoff, blah blah blah. But Paige could work, and he, he I mean, he he earned his position. I mean. Yeah, I mean, of course, like I said, it helped to have friends, but he earned his he earned it. And he, I mean, it, it, he did a great job. He earned it because he got the diamond cutter over. He got himself over, and that's what it's all about. Yeah. If people weren't reacting, Absolutely. then yeah, you're getting pushed too much. This was not Eric Watts 2.0. This was a guy, and Eric Watts was even better than people give credit for, but he just got pushed too much too soon. Whereas Paige, the big turning point, the big turning point with GDP was when he finally got good gear. And that was in '96 when he finally went to the went, went to those uh, not really leather tights, that vinyl type tights. When he finally, I mean, because he, I mean, he looked low rent for so long, 
with that singlet gear. But when he gets into those vinyl tights and stuff, and he finally got with the times, that's when he got over. I mean, that's when he started. I mean, the diamond cutter boots started becoming a big thing. And yeah, I mean, he became like a cult deal as a heel. And then, of course, the NWO and blah, blah, blah. And yeah, I mean, he was done after that. He was made. I don't know if you'll agree with this, but uh, remember I posted something a couple weeks ago. It was Diamond Dallas hitting like a tilt a whirly bird powerbomb on Chavo, right? And it like a yeah. lot of retweets and everything on Twitter. Like I was one of the most retweets I think I ever got. And like, I was just really impressed that like DDP saw it too, which is cool. But like, that's the match, like that match he had with Chavo. Now you think about that fall brawl 96 show. NWO was on fire. It was like everything changing, but then you had not just the NWO angle, but then you had <laughs> Ray Mysterio and super Callow, which is fucking tremendous. You had Benoit and Jericho, which was a dream match for hardcore fans at the time. Conan throwing Hoobie like a fucking cat being thrown <laughs> off the porch, you know, all around the ring. Excellent match. Solid tag team title match, I think, with Harlem Heat and Nasty Boys. The whole show was loaded. But that DDP match with Chavo, when he hit that fucking crazy Whirly Bird powerbomb, and then he hit the, the diamond cutter... That was the beginning for me where people went from here's this guy who opened up 50 million shows with Johnny B. Bad to, oh, shit, let's pay attention to this guy. And then it just moved on and on and on until, like, I guess it was early 97 when, as he, as he would say, he banged Scott Hall and then, you know, Dee knocked Nash out of the ring and the rest was history. But, yeah, DDP's the man. I, I got nothing but uh, praise for DDP. He did a good job. I think I mean what what once they basically once once the few with the booty man that was like the end of, of that once once they 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 got that over with got Kimberly away from him and he quit being guy feuding with booty man and Dave Sullivan and shit like that and he started becoming serious that's when he got over yeah and like uh, that's he had good lines as a manager too like I remember. I oh, yeah. oh, he was when great. he had that bad company match with RPMs, which I wish was online. I don't think it is. Someone put it online if you can. But he came out with like these two super hot chicks, and then he had them disrobe, and then he went nuts oh, announcing bad company. And this was before God. wrestling. Yeah, this was before girls were really undressed in wrestling. So like these two super hot chicks stripped out of their little uh, outfits to like bikinis. Fans went nuts. Bad company music hit. They walked out to the ring. Page went completely ballistic announcing that BA double D bad. And then it was just like, holy fuck. Before the match even started, I was blown up. I'm like, holy shit, what an experience. And all his lines like Copenhagen dipping, coupon clipping, draft beer drinking, rednecks. And I remember the one time he's like, You guys are gonna think you're in a gang fight and you don't have no friends. Like he always had like funny lines. So like if you go back and uh and look back on his stuff in AWA. And some of the WCW stuff. He had so many good lines. He was a very good manager too. So fuck. Well, how much? How much of him in 1989 Florida have you seen? <sighs> a depressingly small amount. And you'd think me being such a complete devotee to all things Rhodes, I would have seen this. But uh, oh, it's great. I, I need it's to- great. I mean, him managing a uh, big steel man, Fred Ottman. Uh, him managing uh. Him and Humperdinck basically co-managing everybody, all the heels, whether it be Latin Hartharv Val Perez, Manny, Regional Bull Manny Fernandez, Southern Force, Bobby Jaggers, and Black Bart, um, 
you know, all those guys, the Terminator, Mark Laurinaitis, you know, all those guys, they were basically, you know, managing and stuff. And he was doing the announcing with Gordon. And I mean, he, he was so fun down there. I, I love that promotion, man. It was a really fun say, promotion. PWF. Babyface Nasty Boys yes. with Dusty's Uncle Nasty. Yes. You know. PWF Florida is one of the best short-lived promotions of all time. I mean, Dick Slater, Steve Kearns, Babyface. I was there. Yeah, it was loaded. Johnny Ace, Bubblegum Kid, Brett Sawyer. They had a really good career. And honestly, I thought that before Big Steel Man turned into like a candy candy cane-shaped fucking tug, tugboat Thomas, I thought Big Steel Man was going to wreck shit. Like his trail oh, yeah. in Dust PWF. As like the new era of Big Bubba Rogers, ironically he came from being Big Bubba also, <laughs> but like he was mm-hmm. fucking so dangerous as the Big Steel Man, and you got to figure that's a dust he was probably going for when Shockmaster happened, <laughs> but you know, unfortunately, yeah, it is what it yeah. is. But that's the wrestling's main event magazine. <laughs> well, there you go. What the- uh, good stuff. What a what? See, that was like a labor of love. We just talked about all the good stuff. Like that was a good time for wrestling, where there was barely anything bad to say. My uh, my slight dislike of all things Memphis studio wrestling in the nineties. Uh, <laughs> disregard that, but because I have a feeling people are going to jump all over that. But like, I will say, I did enjoy Memphis. Like I watched like Manny Fernandez and Hector Guerrero in the studio, and I enjoyed that and. Robert Fuller's promos were great, and there was stuff I enjoyed. I just – I'm not the guy who goes back to watch a lot of the, the like, 90, 91, 92 Studio Memphis stuff. But maybe I'll get back into it and check it out. My opinion will change. <laughs> yeah, never know. You never know, Chris Zellner. What I do know is the next episode, you will be choosing a magazine of your own. So then uh, we'll take it back. Yeah, and we'll be going back a little earlier. The, the, on, the, on the one I'm going to pick. I don't know exactly what, but it will uh, it'll be the earliest one we've done so far. I guarantee you that. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we should have a very interesting magazine to, to get to the older stuff. Because one thing about the magazines um, in their older eras, they get really, you know, uh, dynamic with their headlines and stories. Salacious, dynamic. Oh. So... Very entertaining. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's fucking old Wild West in those days for sure. But again, we also thank everyone for tuning in. I know we've we've built a good little audience uh, here over the last few months, and we really appreciate everyone checking it out. Always hit us up Indeed. on Twitter if you have any thoughts. We love to hear feedback, so let us know how we're doing. If you like it, if you think formatting could be different, let us know. We'll check into it. It's all good. But uh, really enjoy doing these shows, obviously, Chris, and Always a blast, even with my hoarse voice this week, as I scream too much at work all week, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, you had a long work. Oh, week, fucking so. brutal. But anyway, uh, all that said, this is Rob Naylor for Chris Zellner. We'll see you later next time on Cover to Cover here on, well, let's call it Twitter. <laughs> what are we on between the, between the sheets? What? We're on the Between the Sheets Radio Network. See, I'm not uh, as smooth as Conrad, but no, I'm kidding. <laughs> a couple of years, guys. I apologize. <laughs> but anyway, yes. So that's it. So long for the Peach State of Georgia.
Black, black.